Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website, located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community, because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. All right, guys, welcome to the show. Today, I've got Katie Georgie with me. She's an actress based in London, and... um, Katie has multiple sclerosis, otherwise known as MS, um, and we've known each other for many years, um, so I wanted to have her on the show to talk about it. So Katie, can you walk us through just the beginnings? Um, when and how did you first realize that you were sick and that you had this going on? Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here, Lauren. Yay! Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, it's an interesting story because my symptoms started very unusually, this is a very unusual um, occurrence, when I was seven years old, around seven years old, mm. and I would lose a bit of sight in my eye, or I wouldn't be able to hold my pen mm. properly. So um, I would go to the doctors, and back then, they thought maybe I was playing up, or there was something, maybe I was sleeping funny, maybe it was, I don't know, they weren't quite sure, so they kept prodding me with a pin. Oh, that's I nice. Every six months, this lovely doctor, Dr. Cunningham, I can't remember, I think that's his name, Cummings or something, and he'd sit me down and he'd get a pin and he'd prod me with the pin. And I'd mm. tell him when I could feel the prod of the pin and when I couldn't. So this went on for years. It was absolute nonsense. So, mm. I mean, if you look at my exercise book. At school, when I was, you know, when I was in high school, I had lovely writing. And then there'd be maybe two or three weeks where my writing, with spider because I couldn't I couldn't grasp my pen mm. um, anyway so then this went on or I'd be a bit weak or I'd lose feeling down one side and it was just something I just thought Katie's just weird you know mm. um, but I was actually diagnosed properly when I had a full-blown attack when I was 19 years old so that was well just before I was 19 in my first year at university they gave me a CAT scan put me in the MRI thing and they noticed that I had a lot um, of scar tissue on my brain um, and at the top of my spine, which is yeah. typical of MS. Typical of MS. So all of those, those different things were causing that, that uh, scar tissue on my brain. And mm. they said, unfortunately, you have MS. And then just left me with it, to be honest. Um, wow. They didn't give me any medication. Um, they didn't give me anything to read, really. So I was kind of at the mercy of, you know, the, the, the newly budding internet at the time, mm. which just absolutely terrified me. And I didn't go back on. After well, I, I, imagine, I imagine Googling <laughs> when you were 19 was probably very different from Googling now. <laughs> absolutely it was. It really was. And I, I, I always, I, <laughs> I remember the time, the day that I was um, diagnosed and the, the doctor, the consultant was so attractive. This is what was really difficult oh. for me. <laughs> and, and, uh, it was hard and um and it, it, he was like the main consultant was called dr cartledge or something quite hysterical <laughs> and, uh, but he was like a sub doctor anyway he was tall he was dark he was handsome he had to inspect my body and you know oh. move me around etc so 
to be honest, after my, you know, seeing him, I was really looking forward to see him again for my results because he was so gorgeous. <laughs> and unfortunately, the second appointment I had to get my results was, you know, you have MS. And, and to be honest, I thought I'm going to die. I thought, what is, I didn't even know, didn't even know what it was. Sorry. Right. So, so was, how, how long did it take you to sort of discover what MS was? And, and what did your attack look like that ended you up in hospital then? Um, so that's a really good question. I mean, essentially tell us what MS is for those who are listening, who don't necessarily aren't familiar with it. Um, what is MS? Well, it's an autoimmune Mm -hmm. disease. Um, and it's where your own body attacks, um, the myelin sheath, which is, uh, everyone has, um, a nerve and all of your nerve endings. Mm. And that's got a nice fatty um, protection. It's called the myelin sheath. Mm. The thing is, with um, MS sufferers, is your own body attacks that. So right. all of the messages in your body get confused. So all the, the mobility and anything so, that, so that, that involves a nerve ending. It could be, sensory, it could be o- optical. It could be all of it. So it all mm-hmm. kind of gets confused. So you've got two sorts of MS. So you've got relapsing remitting, which is what I have. So I'll go through um, many months um, and sometimes in the past years of not many attacks or symptoms at all. Mm. And that will be peppered with attacks, which will, when I say attack, it just sounds really dramatic. It's not what it is. Um, It's a relapse. It is a relapse. And it Mm. comes on very quickly. Some people may not come quickly. Mine come on very quickly. So usually when I wake up in the morning, Mm. I will have no feeling in my legs or I will have really weak legs or I'll have really bad eyesight in one eye or I'll have very bad um, pins and needles in my hands. Mm. So I won't be able to pick things up. That's a usual one with me, um, the extremities. So um, when I do have an attack, so say I can't really move very well, I have no control of my bladder, I can't pick things up, mm. um, I, I would put a glove on my hand, for instance, to aid me picking things up, or I'll sure. put two pairs of socks on. You know, there's things I do, so you wouldn't necessarily notice it. Some people have attacks and they're in a wheelchair, you know, right. weeks on end. It really depends you know, person to person, it's very individual and you can't plan. You can, you, some people, you know, are diagnosed are usually in their early twenties. Um, what, what, you know, with people who are diagnosed earlier. So it's usually about mid twenties and then usually people might get it when they're older or their body yeah. shows signs. And that's usually in their fifties and sixties. So those are the two kind of age groups, but, um, yeah. So yeah, it, yeah it's changeable I can't say for one person they may get diagnosed at 20 and not have one symptom for 20 years right ever again right so you've right and you've been through it I mean I remember you being in the hospital where your arm was moving and you couldn't control it you know things like that which is hilarious I mean it's not hilarious but it it kind of it's great that you can find the humor in it that's the important thing as well so I had like my finger up my middle finger up and it was just kind of (laughs) So I was talking Only to you. someone back to my left, and then my finger would just be, just yeah. <laughs> Only you, Katie. Only you. But I have a glove on as well, so you know. I just, it, yeah, you've got to laugh. But yeah. yeah so in, yeah. So it was yeah, just really profound weakness. I couldn't see. Um, I couldn't pick anything up to eat. I couldn't dress myself. I couldn't, um, as women, put my sanitary wear on. All of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and also it kind of got into my tongue a bit, so my 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 words were a little bit slurry, mm-hmm. jumbled around. And um, then eating probably was a little funny too, I imagine. Yeah. yeah, when you're having an MS attack, you don't really want to eat anything, but you, mm. you have to. So it's kind of like a sensory... Overload, maybe. Bomb. Yeah, that's yeah. gone off. But it yeah. comes on very quickly. And then when you... I mean, usually with me, it lasts about a month. Some people... Um, and then... I, I, I seem to bounce back from that. So mm. I'll be bad for a month and then I bounce back and I'm kind of how I was before the attack. Right. Um, as I get older, now I've got no feeling at all from my knee down now. Um, oh. And my feet are completely um, numb. So, but I mean, having started symptoms when I was seven, I'm not doing too bad. Yeah. So I have a feeling that, you know, that it will just slowly start 
coming up my legs and maybe my legs will get tight maybe walking will become more difficult mm. balance is um difficult as well for me but you know yeah yeah so, so changeable sorry you asked me something ages ago changeable changeable symptoms right yeah yeah no that was the answer so um i know that in the beginning you were saying that there was no treatment plan given to you like no protocol um what steps did you take to take control of your health because i know that that's something that's also changed a lot over the years for you Oh, absolutely. I ran away from it and I was in complete denial, I think, Lauren, even until, you know, when I was 26 when I met you. And, um, and we've I known each other for quite a while now. <laughs> wow, that's long. I'm going to be yep. 40 now. Anyway, let's go into So, yeah, I hadn't really, I hadn't really owned it at all. It was just something, it was like a bad dream. I lived in constant fear of my symptoms. So sometimes I would like, um, you know, sleep on my arm funny, and you know, sometimes people do, and it would be a little bit numb, mm. or sometimes, you know, I don't know, but I would, yeah, I was just a bit of a hypochondriac with it, and I think Fair you can get into that. yeah, and I think with kind of autoimmune stuff, um, conditions, you can become a bit of a hypochondriac. Any little thing, any little change, because you can, you become very. Um, good very very good at, at tapping into your own body and what it's doing mm -hmm. and how it's feeling and the slightest change from the norm then yeah. starts a reaction of worry and this and that so you know what if I can't walk tomorrow and I've got an audition or whatever I've got a job interview or someone's birthday what is you you go off in your head and you see all of the different circumstances that, that do you understand I'm not explaining that very well but no, I think it makes total sense. But then again, I'm also someone with an autoimmune disorder. So. Exactly, exactly. You yeah. jump ahead in a second. So I could wake up, I've slept funny on my arm. In a second, I've done all the different scenarios. Mm. A disaster that could be, and I've just slept funny on my arm and it's fine in five minutes. You know, Has it, that impaired your independence as well in some way? Like, do you feel like you always need to be living with someone in case you need help or um, have someone on the end of the line? How does that look for you? Yeah, again, very good question. Um, for many years, I lived with partners. Um, poor of them. Um, <laughs> I kind of really owned it, so I was just an asshole most of the time, and very. I liked you then. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, yeah. So you kind of make them into a hypochondriac as well, and they're not quite sure what to do, and. You give your symptoms funny names, like I've got a clicky throat, or I've got, I've got a, um, a you know, a, a flicky hand, or I've got it. You know, sometimes I'd wake up and I felt like I hadn't woken up and I was still in a dream. Mm. That went on for quite a while. So that's just weird, you know, just weird things like that. Or, um, or I just wouldn't sleep for days on end, and I'd just be absolutely wired, just writing stuff, and you know, j just just very strange behaviour. And I think it was because I was feeling out of control, that my body was betraying me. Um, I, it was, it was like living with a, it was just like living with a monster. That's what it was. And, uh, well, and you I had, were living with your own monster, weren't you? Absolutely. It's yeah. like living with, exactly. Sorry, that's really interesting. I was referring to the MS as a monster, but exactly. Mm -hmm. I probably was the monster they were living with too. But, um, because I didn't own it, Lauren. That was the thing. I didn't own it then at all. It had ownership of me and I didn't feel in control. And the more that I was fearful, the more fear I had, the worse the symptoms would get because it is it's autoimmune and it's neurological. So anytime you're feeling fear or you're feeling traumatized, you can stress. Bet or stress or whatever that is, you can bet with me, it's usually about four weeks and then I have an attack. That's the way my body so it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that just goes round and round. So, so what's your it, question? No, that was, that was sort of, that was the answer. Um, but in terms of, I mean, it's interesting because it sounds like, yeah. there, it sounds yeah. like there needed to be like a psychological protocol as well as a treatment plan for the autoimmune condition itself. So you, when you were first diagnosed, you weren't given anything? I was given some uh, amitriptyline. I think that's like a, a, um, an antidepressant. So you were given an antidepressant before you were given some medication. Yeah, I think it was to because it, it would release the swelling in the brain. So when I have an attack, 
it physically I think there's different strands of antidepressants so rather than kind of changing my mood or whatever it was to, to decrease the swelling or something in the brain or the, the, I think I don't know the nerve endings were swollen or something like that sure that's all I had and that was it that was absolutely it um, and how has that changed over the years? Have there been times when you've been on a million medications and supplements? Have you been in hospital receiving treatments? I, I know now you've really sort of pulled back yeah. on a lot of your treatment as well. I mean, yeah, with the amitriptyline and stuff. So I would be on other other meds, but um, as an actor, as also as you know, as as well. You, you really want to be present in the moment. You want to be reacting with people. You want to be there. You want to feel. And to have something dumbing you down, which I did feel, although, you know, it wasn't for depression, but the antidepressant to calm my nerves down, I did mm. feel that I just wasn't Katie. Yeah. And if I was a true actor or a true artist to reflect the world around me, I had to be true and I had to see what the truth was and feel it and touch it and taste it mm. without having some kind of, Michelin man coat on of these medications. Yeah. So inevitably, I take them, then I'd have this um, epiphany, and then I just stop them, which is absolutely not what you do, mm. as you know, with yes. antidepressant tablets. So that was kind of difficult as well. So yeah. So, um, so I was on a lot. Then I really wasn't. It didn't suit me, um, and they were really trying, they were forcing me and making me feel very silly, actually. Um, to go on steroids treatment. That's right. I do remember you on the steroids. And the steroid treatment is not just take some tablets. This is, it's like chemotherapy treatment. Mm. It, you know, you go in, it's put it intravenously. You have to be there. You have to go to the hospital many times a week. For this, you have to have someone to sit with you. You know, it's very invasive. It's an invasive mm. thing. And to be honest, very new, very new medications. They couldn't actually tell me what was going to happen after 10 years because the studies hadn't been going on for that long. Wow. Um, but in turn, in turn, that's all they could throw at me. And it took every ounce of myself to say no, even when they, they were saying, the doctor was saying, you're not in your right mind. You know, you're going to get worse. You're going to be in your wheelchair. Is that what you want? Mm. Um, and just to say no. I think I know my body better. And that's, you know, once once I start down that avenue, I think my life, no, Changed. just didn't suit. So I said, no, yeah. So well, what is, what's your protocol now? Now I've changed the way my life is. So I've changed my, um, my sleeping, my resting time, what I eat. I mean, I still, you know, smoke and I still drink. Um, well, you got to live your life. Like, exactly. I mean, I'm not like a big cake fiend or anything. I I'm mostly, you know, vegetarian and, you know, it's, it's about managing that. It's just about managing my stress, not taking things so seriously. If I do feel like I'm getting a bit of fatigue or whatever, have a sit down. Um, and, you know, when I do come in home, you know, I just bless the people I live with. But I just I'm in my room, little darkened room, and I just lie there yeah. for 12 hours, you know, for 12 hours. And I sweat it out and I do what I have to do. And then I'm up the next day, hopefully. You know, so I have to do that. It's so I suppose the only thing that's taken a hit, Lauren, is my social life, but that's cool. You know, I can't be uh, painting the town red. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And once I owned what was going on with me, then it's fine. And I can just speak to them and talk to them or not talk to them, and, and it's fine. What the, I think the problem comes when you're meeting new people in, jo in jobs. So, say it's an acting job and people are shifting you know, set around and you're sitting in the corner and they're looking at you like, you know, you're not pulling your weight, man, you lazy bitch, you know, <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, is this the right time to tell you what I'm doing or is it not? So that's kind of difficult sometimes. And I think maybe we're really lucky to be kind of in the industry and what we do um, because it's kind of, we're like freelance. So we, we can own that. I, I think if I was in a high powered job, like in a bank or something or you know, like I had, you know, I don't know, when do you tell people? I don't know. That's a really hard one. Mm. You know, if I was kind of in industry or I was um, a, a barrister, whatever it is, or, you know, when is the right time to tell your employer and your colleague that I don't know? When did and you tell us? I'm trying to remember because we went, for those who don't know, Katie and I went oh, to drama I school together. I didn't, I didn't until I was in the hospital and it was just like all yeah. so dramatic and ridiculous. 
And I, I seem to recall, yeah, nobody sort of knew. And then you had an attack, ended up in hospital. That was the one where your hand was moving and your middle finger was up. Um, and that's when you sort of came out and told everyone. And you, you had a few attacks after that, but still managed even to do final performances, you know, with yeah. support and with... Yeah. Um, with a, a walking stick. When I, I had my cane for our final play, and um, and I, I oh, and I was having an attack, and it was really stressful. But thank goodness I was playing some old witchy woman, <laughs> so the cane suited it. I don't think you know every character would have had a cane, but she totally worked the cane, and it looked good, and it was fine. And then I remember halfway through one of the performances, as I was getting better, I didn't pick up my cane. Oh, funny. It was like Kate, so Katie realized you've left your cane over there, so you're walking <laughs> without the cane. So, what do I do? Do I pick up the cane again as the character, or as Katie, or what? And then, interestingly enough, afterwards, someone said to me that was a really nice touch with the cane. And I said, What do you mean? <laughs> and they said, Obviously, she's such a horrible character, she's pretending to be lame, but yeah. actually, she's not. And it's all just a cover-up. And she's such a manipulator. That was a really nice touch. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I did go off piece. Sorry for what? Piece. No, this is great. So now, do, did you discover that you needed a personal advocate at any point in your journey with MS? And if so, how has that impacted your relationship with people who have or, or are you your own advocate? It sounds like you've really become your own advocate too. My own mouthy advocate, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think I've relied on anybody to. I mean, I've, to speak on my behalf or represent me, I don't. I don't think so. No, and I don't think I, I would. But, but perhaps in the future there may be a time mm. when I can't. When I can't speak, that might actually be something that happens. You know. Yeah. So I really need to think about that and put that kind of down somewhere and um, that somebody would know what my my wishes are, mm. what what my needs are that would know me on in, on that level. So that's a really interesting question. So I have been my own voice, but, but as far as kind of doing, but then being an advocate, but then it's kind of, I don't know how you feel, Lauren, but when you have something like this, um, <laughs> You, you can either, ch- it looks to me like you, you choose one of two paths. Mm. You either become the spokesperson mm. and make it your life's work to speak up about this stuff, mm-hmm. or you absolutely do not, and you just get on with your life, and it's just, what it's just you know, it's bad luck, or it's what's happened, and whatever. Um, and I've kind of, you know, I've danced between the two, but mm. we did... Um, a play a few years back at the Rada Festival, which we're bringing back, um, the MS, the Miz play, the MS play, um, mm. which we really want to bring back. And yeah, but in the play, there was no explicit reference to MS at all. Oh, how interesting. Pur- that was on purpose. You weren't quite sure what was wrong with her, but it was somebody who was marginalised, who was lonely, who was on their own, who didn't have that advocate, who didn't have that voice. and um, and somebody comes around to fix a computer, you know, to get her mm. into society. I think, and her family have said that they've sent some young guy round, and so she's there with this young man in mm. her flat. And oh wow! It's just it, it's funny, but we don't explicitly talk about it because it can. And I've yeah, and I've kind of found. I mean, you've got your forums, you've got you know chat rooms and all of that stuff. And when I've plucked up the courage to go on um, and talk. It seems to me that it can oh, it sound really negative, but it can get a bit kind of symptom symptom porn. Do you know what I mean by that? Hmm. Yeah, people absolutely. Are like this is wrong with me, and that's wrong with me, and and actually, you come away from it feeling much worse. And actually, oh, is my arm actually a little bit numb now? You you your, your brain starts after that. You you start to you know um hypochondria hypochondriacize yourself. You know, <laughs> yeah talking about symptoms and it's not positive it's just what steroid you want what are the what you know what are the side effects it, mm. it's, it's not positive and I think um I think that needs to change yeah and especially with neurological disorders 
positivity of mind is key absolutely spiritual health soul health person health um no fear no shame confidence those are things that are really important and i just find them lacking in these these forums and things yeah well how did you actually end up in a space a headspace where you do have the strength you know because you obviously went down the path first of maybe not having as much confidence in yourself in order to have that turnaround so what did that look like for you on the journey um so it began disastrously um and it, it um it's just it's just got better through through experiences bad experiences good experiences um but knowing that i am you know i i'm in charge of my destiny and to as it's like my faith is really important and it's in it's it's kind of being thankful for this yeah being thankful for having ms and i know it sounds really strange but once i kind of thanked it once i kind of made friends with it once i kind of had a good laugh with it mm. found my sense of humor about things lightened up a little bit um once i stopped judging people for not knowing what was going on with me mm. once i stopped expecting people to know how i was feeling once i um was thankful that you know in a year there were a couple of months where i feel physically my body is like a 70 year old woman mm. what a privileged thing what a privileged thing to feel like that yeah just and i'm back again but just so when i look at a 70 year old woman or whoever or someone in pain or i know what that's like what a privilege and especially for an artist especially for an actor yeah and, you know once you change your head around and that's not for everybody of course it's not and there are dark days but once you want to make friends with it who i am it's part of me it's part of me it's not separate to me it's what makes me me every movement i do everything that i am physically is is that as well you know so you know we are spirit but we're body together so you know i can't get away i can't get away from it and i don't think it helps when you start running away from that yeah. thing that weirdly binds you but if you make that a good thing then yeah that's totally changed my perspective Yeah, that's really interesting. Now, can you also speak a bit about obviously you live in England and and your medical system is the National Health Service, the NHS. You're going to start me off now. Yeah, I know, okay, well, this on. is an important part of the discussion because you've been in a a different care space than perhaps a lot of the people who are going to listen to this podcast, certainly than what I've experienced. Obviously, I lived in the UK for many years. Um, when you and I became friends over there and, um, I used the NHS, um, but I know certainly with your condition, there are major differences in terms of the care protocols and what the care looks like. Um, and I know that there's a battle for the NHS right now, but can you talk a bit about your experience with the NHS and, and your understanding of perhaps the difference um to the US system and how how MS might be treated over here because I think you're familiar a little bit with what that would look like over here as well. Yeah, I, well first things first, I do want to say I am a big supporter of the NHS. They're mm. amazing and they were fantastic when my mum was ill. Um they looked after her brilliantly. Um they're fantastic. My my dad worked within the NHS as well, so I have I have a big love support of NHS absolutely yeah. I, I I have let's say that first things first however mm. it's a big however I was a 19 year old girl given this diagnosis and left to my own devices that although it was many years ago is unacceptable yeah I would say I would say the fact that um no one ever asked me or ever has asked me and i was talking to someone about this actually a couple of days ago nobody in my care plan i'm laughing at that because that doesn't exist but in all this since i've seen the nurses i mean there's lovely mess nurses as well um who are great and you can call them anytime but i mean i don't but i could if i wanted to but no one has ever asked me how are your moods how do you feel mm. do you suffer from depression do you suffer from do you have a history of mental illness in your family are there other disorders in your family that may look like this mm. no one's ever 
asked me anything. The only thing they asked me to do is keep a period diary. Now, quite frankly, that has absolutely nothing to do no. with anything. So no. that's the kind of expertise you're dealing with here. I know that um, and from people I've spoken to when I was working on the ship, some people who um, um, live on the West Coast, um, they have um, one person in particular was diagnosed with MS. Straight away, they were given a therapist name. Straight away, they were given a dietitian. They were given um, alternative medicine, holistic stuff, cannabis, blah, 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 blah. Mm. All of that's all of that's open to them. Somebody here now, bless them, who is diagnosed, maybe a young girl in her 20s, I don't really see, having looked at these forums and stuff, in and out, that anything's changed. Mm. You're given a diagnosis, your world falls apart, you think you're going to die, you think you can't plan for your life, which is a massive thing because you don't know what's going to happen, and then you're yeah. just left to it. Wow. Um, very damaging, and I'm very disappointed. And I think off the back of this, I will write a letter or something because I, I feel in this country so much money now is being put into mental health, dementia, Parkinson's, all of these things. Mm. However, however, I can't help but represent my peeps. My, my yeah. MS, my That's a really lovely term, the MSs. <laughs> like that the MSs or the Muses, whatever I like yeah. it. I, fe- I feel terrible for them um yeah. I'm really long way down my journey that poor boy or poor girl who's in their early 20s they get that diagnosis they close that consultant's door and then what they've got right. the whole internet to, oh my gosh I mean you've got worst case scenarios on there yeah what do you do what what can you do you know and then maybe you'll get misinformation maybe you'll get this that and the other you're not given any support and it right. seems that in America you guys are so much whether people can afford it or not that's another affordability that's another the thing. big that's the big problem <laughs> if it's out there then people you know people can make decisions about their lives right problem, you know they, although you know and they can't tell you you know you've got MS well what's going to happen we don't know they don't know why people mm. have MS they can't say. Is right. it because we're in the northern hemisphere? Is it because you're genetically predisposed? Is it because you've had a virus? Is it because blah, blah, blah? They have no idea. It's not just a white person disease. It's a black people disease. Too. It's across everywhere, but they can't say. Why? Yeah. And that, that is really difficult. But, you know, I'd love to see more money being put into it. I'd love more education to be put into it. Mm. Um, we're getting the odd MSA on, you know, on TV here. Right, um, but you know, and I mean, we had um, Martin Watts's face, the, the um, the president of the United States in what's it called? That amazing oh, Martin program. Sheen in the West Wing. Sheen, he had a, the West Wing, yeah. President he Bartlett. He had the relapsing well, remitting as well. He had the relapsing remitting, so he understood. So exactly. So you know, um, I just think we could really do a lot better here. Um, yeah, and, and I, I'm in London. I'm not in some back of Beyond Village. Remember, I live in London. Yeah, I've been, you know, right in London. So I'm getting the best of the best. I, I really, I really don't think so. I, I that that needs to turn around definitely. Sorry, I'm just gonna. No, that's that. you. You're being very English you know, with your apologies. <laughs> a lot with you know with look, but in Canada there is a high prevalence of people with MS because. It looks as though, from what I can see, if it's going on the genetics thing, it's kind of a Scotland to Northern England thing. Oh, interesting. They track where MS has gone. You know, all these people went over to Canada to, you know, uh, anyway, I think, yeah. Yeah. something in that. Not that it helps, but you've got it. But it, I think it helps to track it, where it comes from, why. And the root causes. Yeah. The root causes, absolutely. Mm. And also my cousin, I don't think he'll mind me talking about this. He's actually got something, I can't pronounce it, called surgeon's um, mm. syndrome or disease. And that's another autoimmune disease. And that's, that's only because, you know, he sent his blood off to America. Um, and oh, he, wow. he had a lot of different symptoms. It's very different to mine. And he gave me a book. Um, and it says that if you have this surgeon's, I think it's called surgeon's um, disease or syndrome, mm. um, the likelihood that you will have a very close female relative 
with MS. Oh my God. Percentage. I mean, it was just all there in this book. Now, you know, it doesn't help anything, but it kind of makes us feel a little bit better and more in control than yeah. perhaps with my family. It is a gene, the gene problem because, you know, although I am Greek Cypriot, my family's from the northeast of England as well. Mm. So a mix of that. So, yeah. Wow. Have you thought about traveling for your care, like coming over to the States and, and paying out of pocket? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Because nothing's going on here. And also, I mean, the other really, um, well, the, the, the treatment that's really had the best impact um, and cure for MS is the stem cells, which is the stem cells that they take from your own body. No one else's. Mm-hmm. It's your own stem cells. They take them from your own body. They give you um, a round of chemotherapy to really suppress your immune system and then they re-inject your stem cells back into your body. So it's like a kickstart. Mm-hmm. And that's not available your- in the UK? Of course it's not. However, I, am, I think it's in Germany, Spain. They've done some, um, some trials. It's had amazing results. And to me, that kind of makes sense. So it's yeah. something I'll definitely be looking into. Um, yeah. But I kind of want to get it over and done when I'm a bit younger rather than when I'm older and maybe the damage is irreversible. Better to do it sooner. Exactly. I mean, chemotherapy is pretty, pretty extreme. Mm. So you've got to be, you know, of, of a certain health to, to put your body through that. But yeah. um, that's something I'm definitely thinking about, but it will cost, but you know. So, I mean, we've talked a lot about um, sort of releasing the stigma and how hard it is to sort of find a work-life balance and when do you tell people about when you're ill. How important is it that we keep talking about it? Is Do you think talking is part of the sort of the cure for the stigma at the very least, that we just keep getting on our loudspeakers and our soapboxes and telling people? Absolutely. I think we have, we, yeah, I think we we... We, we, we owe it to the people coming up. I owe it, you know, I owe it to that young girl and young boy who's today come out and been diagnosed. I owe it to them. And doing this with you, Lawrence, really kind of kick-started me again yeah. to the MS plane to do that because things need to change. And to speak to your friends, I mean, your friends are your friends, but just to speak to them. Mm. I think it can be quite easy to just be quite dismissive or, oh, it's just stuff going on with me. We've actually sit them down and say, look, this is how it actually feels, or this is what I'm going through. Mm. Um, you know, it might not be what they want to hear, but I think you owe it to them, and I think you owe it to your your relationship with them that they know exactly what's going on, and they want to know as well. And it's, it's not, not that they feel sorry for you either. No, they don't. They don't want to ask you. Maybe they don't want to bum you out by asking you. So it's the onus is on us mm. to speak and talk, and maybe talk about the not very nice stuff. You yeah. know, right now, like um, sometimes, you know, I don't know whether. It, I've got problems with my kidneys as well, but like bathrooms and public bathrooms in this country is a really difficult thing because mm. I can't hold my pee. I've got to go when I need to go. Mm. I've got my shiwi, but it's a problem. Yeah, so it's just the thing that you put in the, your areas and it's got a <laughs> tube and you can, you know, just discreetly wee. So you're you know, standing up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but I'm, I've been very close to using my shiwi, Lauren, because, mm. I mean, I get on trains for work None of the bathrooms are open. They're locked. They're disgusting. You have to pay for them. Anyway, so that, that I'm getting on my high horse about that. But, but that's I'm a very basic human dignity thing too. But I tell my friends and my colleagues, I can't hold my wee. So when I need to go to toilet, I'm going, okay? Mm. I'll say stuff like that. Or where they see me like grabbing my head when I've got a really bad head pain is another symptom of MS. It's like someone stabbing you in the head. And I'm like this. And they say, are you Okay say Katie say oh it's my MS symptom it will pass it's just if we keep it it like very normal we don't have to make a big deal about it it's just little bits drips and drops of information but I think it yeah. starts with our friends and with our families and with our colleagues yeah and then we can um or, or else we're just hypocrites aren't we really? well and I remember because seeing you very much in in your own dark place um you know a decade ago when yeah you couldn't come out and say those things and how you'd be going through something physically and you'd be showing signs of some kind of symptom, but the words couldn't come out of your mouth because you were having a fight with yourself about whether or not it was appropriate. And that was the thing that drove you into dark depressions in the past. And why, why, why go to that place 
if you can just say it, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. That's a really good point, Lauren. Becoming articulate about mm. your your disease or your illness, I don't even or condition. I like the word condition. Yeah, like being articulate articulate about it. I think that's good, and that helps you in turn. Yeah, you know, that's yeah, that's part of it. But yeah, well, you you once said to me, and and it always resonated with me. You said to me when I last saw you in London. Um, when I had recently found out that I was dealing with autoimmune stuff too, you pointed to your forehead and you went, it's all in here. It's all between your ears. You know, that like so much of your health and your journey to better health has been the mental shift. Of course it is. Absolutely. That's yeah. what's happened most. Positivity, sense of humor, um, world view. I mean, for goodness sake, worse things happen at sea. My mum used to say, like, just mm. get on with it. You know, having perspective, um, doing the things that you love, having those people that you love around you, um, getting things out that you're keeping on your heart is very important. Mm. You know, if you keep things in too much, talking about shame, I've said that word before, mm. I'll say it again, we carry a lot of shame. I think that causes a lot of illness. Yeah. Um, chronically low self-esteem we say self-esteem but what does that mean it's worthiness that word worthiness is so much more helpful mm. to feel worthy of of things um of mm. happiness um, worthy of space worthy of being understood worthy of love all of those things i think with people who who have illness i don't know what came first especially mm. with neurological stuff especially with autoimmune um I might be getting a bit hippie. No, this is, I think this makes total sense because for you, the, it's part of the gratitude for having MS because it's actually brought you back to yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. It, yeah, it is that. So yeah. Mm. And your faith has certainly also helped you in that as well. Faith also always gives you perspective. Mm. There's a faith outside of yourself looking in. It's not in you looking out. It gives you perspective on things and it gives you kind of a calm. Whatever, the, yeah. whatever that may be, whatever faith or spirituality, whatever that is. Lots of people meditate. Yep, that's um, what I do. Because I'm not a particularly religious person, so I meditate. People are finding that, you know, helpful to mm. them. And to them, I, I'd call it mind prayer. You know, it's the same mm-hmm. thing. It's just that, that time out. So that's, that is really helpful. But we have a long way to go. And we need to absolutely use our, use our, yeah, use our soapboxes. And I think as artists and the creatives, we have even more. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, doing something like the MS play and bringing that back, I'm sure is part of it. Mm. Whatever that is. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, we're sort of getting to the end. This has been such a wonderful chat, Katie. Um, Oh my God, it's my pleasure. But I I like to sort of wrap up the interviews um, with a couple of top three lists. Um, and my first one, I'm just wondering what your top three tips would be for someone who suspects that they may have something off or are living with invisible illness, be it MS or, or anything else. What would your top three pieces of advice be? Well, first of all, I would say speak to somebody about it. Mm. Once you've voiced it, then it's not the demon anymore. Mm. It's not the devil. You've said it. So you've, if people say seek help you know, whatever that might be, or maybe don't even go that far. It can be a bit scary. Maybe speak to a friend or somebody yeah. trusted. This is off. That is off. Just don't leave it. Don't, don't, you know, don't, yeah, don't, don't pretend it. it's not happening. Take action. Take action. Um, I would say, I think I said it before. If someone has something wrong, um, have a sense of humor, or if you don't have a sense of humor, find it. Mm. It will friend throughout everything that's really really important um I think that was my my second one um and my third one but yeah love yourself don't be so judgmental of yourself or others you know Mm, find compassion yes but yeah don't he's perfect stop trying to be perfect I tried to do that so hard I did it really badly I thought I was being (laughs) and you know and everyone's saying you you, you know no so yeah so find your sense of humor seek help Find your sense of humor or get one. <laughs> ju- no judgment of anyone or yourself. Mm. I think that's what I would say. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I know you said that right now you're like, you're eating pretty clean um, and you're, you're pretty regimented with your sleep and all that kind of thing in order to keep symptoms at bay. But do you ever cheat on treatment and lifestyle changes? Of course I do. Smoking and drinking. I do. I, and it, Sometimes I go for a whole week without that, and then I'll just have a little blowout, and that's just how I relax. So yeah, and that's the thing that works for you. What would you say your top three like guilty pleasures or secret indulgence or comfort activities are when you have a flare up? Well, I would say number. I was thinking about this. This is actually what I do. You're probably going to think on crackers. Number one, I buy the good hummus. <laughs> the good hummus, which is expensive unless it's on offer. So that's it. The good hummus, I will buy it. Love it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, you know, it's these little things, isn't it? Simple pleasures. Pleasures. Um, I think the second thing I do is watch. So it's kind of Netflix generation now, isn't it? And I've always done, I like watching things back to back. And my guilty pleasure, and I'm doing it, and I've done it actually a little bit today, because I was feeling a bit, um, watching, watching, all of the ITV old Poirots. Ah, with David, with David Chichet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of the um, Miss Marples with Joan Hickson. <laughs> and, like, any, and Columbo, which we know oh, is we like... Columbo is one of your all-time favorites. Only the, only the 70s, the 80s ones, the 70s ones. <laughs> and it's just like that comfort, because I know what they're going to say, and Prime Suspect as well. Hmm. Um Jane Tennyson with what's a knot in it. It's just stuff. I know what they're going to say. It's my comfort and I love it. And it's my escapism and I don't have to think. And that's what I like. So that's kind of what I do. So I pull out a bit of my Colombo or a bit of my Poirot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the third one is really odd one. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're probably going to get this. I allow myself to daydream. Yeah. But but excessively, sure. so I think it's it's like when I have an MS attack, like my dreams become very vivid mm. and very colourful, and I think when my body's kind of breaking down or it's confused, the only outlet I've got is my brain. So normally people will daydream and go, oh, I wonder about this, and you go off, but I just don't bring myself back. Mm. I just carry on for a very long time. So you activate your imagination. It's just a way to get out. Yeah. I've just got a switch and just go. And it's it's amazing and it's beautiful and I love it. And an hour could have gone by, but I've just just escaped my body just for an an hour just to give it a break. And we wonder why you ended up an actor. Does that make any sense? Yeah. You know, because you do that. Your brain goes off, doesn't it, when you're on the bus or you're driving, whatever, and you go off and then you have to bring yourself back. Mm. What have you yeah, what if you just let it keep going? Well, in a way, it can become a manifestation or a visualization of things that you want as well. And it gets your endorphin up. It gets all of that up, and it just makes me feel high and good. And the mm. other thing is with the MS, when I'm going through an MS attack, I am the cheeriest person. Yeah, you are, actually. And, and, it, and it's not just me. It it's happens with people with MS when they're having an attack. They're overly cheery. Isn't that interesting? So is it something to, to do with your, your glands and your brain and whatever chemicals are released? No, I don't know. You're ultra positive when you're having an attack. And it's just when you, when, well, not everybody, again, I reiterate, I don't speak for everybody, mm. but then when you're coming down from it, that, that's when. Oh, wow. But you have a euphoric point. It's bizarre, but yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose that's kind of a bonus. <laughs> one way to find the gratitude you gotta have sense of humor you got it I know. absolutely and um I mean it's interesting also that you mentioned the the uh all those crime shows that you watch because in those shows there's always a dead body maybe there's something oh. in that that like it's not you I don't, yeah maybe yeah exactly just watch the news guys it puts it on but you no know, but I know I'm just obsessed with uh, Agatha Christie mm. I, I Murder, she wrote, but it's not the same. No, <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> but it's pretty damn good. We like some some murder she wrote over here. I love it. Oh yeah, Lansbury. Come on, we love Lansbury. Yep. But yeah, it's something about Agatha Christie and just the way it is, and everybody looks really beautiful. It always looks so lovely, and everything gets tied up nicely with a bow at the end too. It does. I just yeah, that's what I like. And yeah. Columbo because he's amazing. Go. Yeah. 
Peter Falk. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, Katie, this is all so wonderful. And I really hope that this information will be helpful to people who are listening because there's some great advice that you have to share. And um, thank you so much for sharing so honestly about your experience with MS as well. No. And again, I reiterate, I do not speak for everybody because mm-hmm. everyone's MS journey is very particular to them. Sure. So I can reach their mind. So yeah. 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 Well, Katie, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. I can't wait to uh, get this episode out there for everyone. And um, yeah, and, and hopefully we'll be seeing you treading the boards on the stage very soon. Without Kane? It might Without be an Kane. Electronic I'm really looking forward to the electronic chairs. My <laughs> can't wait. Speaking of a sense of humor, knowing Katie as well as I do, I'm going to say that like the minute you get in one of those electronic chairs, you are going to be running people over like it's your job. I want a small dog. I want a comedy. (laughs) I want there to be a big flag and a sound system. That's what I want. (laughs) We'll take you on a parade. And no, it won't be amazing. I'll do the shopping in my basket anyway. (laughs) That's great. Oh, that's super. I can send you on shopping runs then. Absolutely. I only have a dog. Well, Grayson can can, uh, sit in my... um, And that's, for those of you who don't know, Grayson is my cat. He's pretty great. (laughs) Um, Well, Katie, yes. Thank you so much. um, And hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you. Yay. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.